Welcome to Classically Minded, where we examine what it means to be an artist in today's changing world. I'm your host, Garrett John Law, and joining us on today's episode is organist and dear friend of mine, David Von Baron. David has performed as a concert organist across the United States and abroad, and he's now under management from the Concert Artist Collective. He's a consummate church musician, and now he serves as assistant organist and choir master at the Memorial Church at Harvard University. And in Boston, he's also pursuing his Doctor of Musical Arts degree from Boston University. David has been committed to music education for a long time. He's served on various organ faculties, such as the American Guild of Organists, Pipe Organ and Counter, and he even founded his own summer program called the Little Stars Summer Program, which introduces classical music to children ages 3 to 11. In his spare time, he enjoys traveling and running half marathons, costumed as various superheroes. Welcome, David. Hey, thanks so much, Garrett. It's uh, such a joy to get to see you and get a chat a little bit today. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Uh, For our listeners, we went to the Cleveland Institute of Music together And I have to say, I'm really grateful that we ended up being in the same class together. It would have been a very different experience if we weren't sort of the only two organists in the same class, so. Right, those were some fun years. We graduated in 2017. What have you been up to since then? So after undergrad, uh, I went to Yale School of Music, Institute of Sacred Music, um, studying organ performance, continuing on the same track as undergrad, and was there for two years working at Trinity Church on the Green with Walden Moore. Uh, um, So I worked as one of the two organ scholars there for those two years, and uh, which was a wonderful experience. After that, then, I took the position as assistant university organist and choir master at the Memorial Church of Harvard University. And I also um, accompany the Harvard Glee Club there as well. Um, and I'm also doing uh, my DMA. I'm studying with Peter Sykes at Boston University um, College of Fine Arts. Uh, so I think a lot of our listeners are maybe classical musicians, maybe not necessarily organists. So. Going back to the church on the green, maybe you could tell us a little bit, you know, what what being a church organist really is. You know, there's a phrase that we learned there, and I'm sure, Garrett, you relate to this too, but uh, other duties as assigned being the <laughs> phrase, um, because your day-to-day job, especially as an assistant or as a scholar, Well, I mean, and it really goes for any music faculty, too, is always changing, especially with working with kids. So working with the um, choir of men uh, men and boys and then the girls' choir as well, there were a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of jobs and tasks that you weren't always expecting to be doing, you know, rounding up sheet music, you know, teaching novices, um, you know, in addition to things like accompanying. Um, And I think that's one of the cool things about being an organist is that's just one of the very few things that we do. Um, there's a lot of things behind the scenes, I'm sure, that you, especially now in the pan, you know, throughout the pandemic, uh, that have become other duties as a side. Yes, especially, yeah, especially I think working in education and working with 
young choristers, teaching them to sing is always so rewarding. Uh, sort of on this topic, maybe we could talk about how you got started in music. You know, you're from Nebraska, right? Yes. Yeah, so I started piano lessons when I was four years old. And my mom's a piano teacher, um, but it, it's always difficult, I think, even if you're working on homework with your parents. Uh, so I studied with another teacher, um, and then a, a year later I started violin when I was five. But I didn't really get into the organ until I was 13, and I didn't really start taking that seriously till I was older, probably my junior year of high school. But I, yeah, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, growing up in the Midwest, um, where, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of the only one who plays the organ. So it makes you a little different and unique in its own right. But also, I guess the other side of the, of the coin is that there aren't other people like you necessarily. Um, no, I, I think I had a similar experience. Also, growing up in the Midwest, Ohio, of course, right. um, I didn't know too many other young organists that were sort of studying at the same time. So like I said, yeah, it's just such a joy to be able to spend those <laughs> undergrad years with you. Right. Well, you too. Gosh, we had, a, we had quite a blast. Yeah. So now here we are, and it's 2021, <laughs> and we've, we've been living through this pandemic. So how has this affected you um, at the Harvard Memorial Church and your TMA at Boston University? It's a great question. So... Um, the church has been closed. I mean, the, the building is, is closed at the moment, uh, and has been really, um, since things hit in March. So essentially, uh, after two and a half months from the beginning of the pandemic, living in my apartment with not a whole lot to be able to do, um, to really kind of fulfill duties that I would like to, you know, cause our jobs all changed drastically. Um, so I actually came back to Nebraska. So I've been residing in Nebraska, you know, due to the graciousness of Tom Trenny, the minister of music at First Plymouth Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. I've been driving there from this little town in Fall City where I'm currently residing with my parents and recording uh, preludes and postlude service music and, you know, accompaniments for our bigger events. Um, for the Memorial Church, and we've been doing things as a radio broadcast. So essentially, I'll go and make recordings and then send them off in a Google Drive folder, and then they can use those for the services um, at at Mem Church on the on Sundays. Also, my work with the Harvard Glee Club as accompanist has now kind of shifted into this new Zoom world with virtual choir recordings and. Um, more of like teaching fellow duties. Um, as far as my doctoral work at Boston University, um, I've been so grateful for the flexibility of my incredible teacher, P Peter Sykes, who has helped me navigate this remotely. So I've been able to take a lot of academic classes remotely. I'll go and record excerpts of my lessons, like of the pieces that I'm working on for recitals, and then we will listen to them together over Zoom, and we'll both have 
the scores, and then we just talk about things that I can consider and do differently, and then I'll go re-record excerpts, record new excerpts. And so um, that's helped me then to be able to prepare recitals in this time. Um, so I did my first recital in, in January, and then this coming Sunday at 8 p.m., I'm doing a YouTube premiere of my second DMA recital, which has been a collaborative program. Actually, too, and I know we've talked about this a little bit, Garrett, that whole idea of learning how to listen to oneself without being overly critical and also becoming comfortable with listening to recordings of yourself. That was an obstacle I had to overcome, but it's also helped us become better musicians in the process as well. Because when all this happened, everybody started putting stuff online. It's like, if you're a church organist, you put your volunteers after you played on Sunday, or you know, nobody could give recitals, so people were Facebook Live or YouTube streams, and that's that's been really awesome. Yeah, I think artists and musicians especially could just be so self-critical. There's this sense of um, competition and like this perfectionism. Part of these videos and these recordings is, you know, not everything you put out is going to be 100% perfect all the time. That's just not a realistic goal for yourself. For me personally, it's helped me come to terms with, you know, I'll take consistent good work versus just being afraid to put anything out there because I won't, I won't settle for anything less than perfection. I think that's been a really important lesson for me. I, I agree 100% too. And I think that one good silver lining in this time has been to break down those self-critical walls so that we aren't like frozen by this need to have everything be perfect when we post because in this time there's a lot of forgiveness i think just to be doing something is doing something and to me just to be creative and to put yourself out there is something that should be applauded just because we are trying and we're also showing we're trying versus the other side of that of just being self-defeated and then just doing nothing because i think we also have that I don't know. I mean, I, I, I kind of think of it as like we have this service and this calling to be you know, ministers of music in our own right. That also means producing things, even if they aren't perfect, but still excellent. Agreed. I think music has gotten a lot of people through all of this. But, you know, just being able to keep yourself mentally healthy, too, is just mm -hmm. so important. So um, I like to back up sort of to the beginning of the pandemic. It would, my initial reaction was I was... Um, at my church, I was packing up my office, not knowing the next time I was going to be back. What was your sort of initial reaction? How did you just cope cope with this unknown? For me, it was it kind of happened more so in waves. The first thing was we aren't going to continue morning prayers. We're only going to be doing what I kind of call the apocalyptic broadcasts, where there's just five, six, seven people in the same room doing live broadcast on the radio, use archived recordings and things. So for me, it was just kind of the slow process. And it took a while, I think, for me to realize it's going to be a long time till things are how they were before. 
I found myself trying to find ways to continue to create and to just feel like I was doing something. I think the hardest thing for me, especially for the first two, three weeks, we were going 60, 100 miles an hour doing what we normally do to zero. And that whiplash of going from 100 to zero was really tricky to know what do you do to feel productive because all of a sudden I felt super useless. So I was trying to learn music from my... (laughs) From my, like, electric piano in my apartment, trying to play, like, the pedals with my left hand and then, like, trying to play the... And it wasn't really working. Anyway, I started learning the Roipka Sonata. I think I was telling you about when we were talking Mm -hmm. on the phone the other day. I have this weird thing where while I'm learning notes or putting in fingering or something, I'll have Netflix on in the background, which probably isn't good pedagogy. But... I went through so many Netflix shows at the beginning just to kind of keep my mind off of all of it. Did you watch Tiger King? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That that was like one of the first shows. I, I also watched like these apocalyptic pandemic shows. Yeah. Like, oh what are God. we getting into here? <laughs> I think there's actually a movie called Pandemic that Ooh. I watched. It was, it didn't end well. So that was like not a good choice. Bad choice. You know, it was like... I finished and I'm like, okay, I think I need a comedy because that was really dark. (laughs) Really dark. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) I think everybody was just kind of confused. I guess that's my, that was my initial reaction. Confused. And actually coming to Nebraska has been such, such a wonderful thing for me because compared to many other states, I mean, Nebraska in its own right has been kind of socially distancing since 1867 when it became a state because everything is already pretty spread out. That helps, you know, allowing us to have more space to breathe and to just to make music and things, though, of course, not with full audiences or anything. So I wonder, are you still playing violin and organ at the same time? So not, I don't think... It, not many people have seen this before. You'll actually be playing the violin since you studied from a young age, right? And then you'll play with your feet. You'll be playing the pedals of the organ, sort of maybe the bass line or a counter melody. You still doing that? any of that? I, I have been, yeah. So I'm playing a, a private recital on Sunday in Kansas City, and I'm going to play one of those pieces that I had arranged for violin and organ at the same time. And actually, I think it was our last year at CIM. I'll say at that point, I was trying to do it in studio class. And I think I like had my first like performance trying to do one of the pieces from from memory with with Todd looking at my score and putting like red marks like, oh no, I think we should switch oh. these harmonies here, you know. No, I'm still doing that to answer your question. <laughs> I feel like the organ's already such an athletic instrument. And then so you're, you're really, and then to hold the violin, which takes a lot of just technique in general and balance. So you're sort of playing with your feet for, uh, to me, it's very precarious, but also you need to be very strong and athletic to play it. I think so. I think there's kind of like more of that core strength just so that you feel grounded or, or rooted. And I know sometimes before I play that parlor trick or stunt, I kind of do like a stretch both ways so that I just don't feel like, oh my gosh, I'm, this isn't going to... This isn't going to happen today, you know? Um, <laughs> no, that yeah. reminds me of uh, Cameron Carpenter, actually. he I, I once saw a video of him doing push-ups before he went out to go play a concert just to get him, like, warmed up to play. Maybe... I, it's, I've, it's, I've, I've done that before, but it's actually really? more so, I think... I mean, I've done that before, but, like, 
probably not as many as him. And also just like, <laughs> it's more just to kind of like wake up the brain. Like, okay, you gotta play now. Like, we gotta be alert, David. Like, let's go, you know? Yeah, yeah. I do you I have any, that. do you have any like, do you have any like pre-recital things like rituals? Pretty basic, really. Just drink tea, um, maybe have a banana. But I do, I do agree that getting some motion and some activity can help you sort of just relax and just feel ready. So you've had the opportunity to travel abroad and sort of go on these organ tours where you get to play organs in Paris, organs across, basically across Europe. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about those trips and maybe if you're willing to pick your favorite organ. I'd say I think one of my favorite more or less was trips was just a, a small kind of UK tour. I just kind of organized of some solo recitals that I did. If I remember correctly, it was Hereford Cathedral, Westminster Abbey, the Swiss Church in London, and Hexham Abbey were the four places I played on that trip. Well, I think my, fav my favorite place to play, just because I'd never been there before, was Westminster Abbey. Just such a cool instrument. But I think as far as my favorite organ abroad, just because I love French organ music and like those snarly reeds, was Notre Dame. In, in Paris, just to kind of like really hear those enchimades right in your ear, feeling slightly deaf in that moment. That to me is really exciting. Now that sounds incredible. I'm just so happy that you've had that opportunity. Hope we can all travel again soon and just get out there and right. play more often. Absolutely. Well, and I hope too that you know we'll be able to you know play the organ again. That people will be able to play the organ again at Notre Dame too. Um, you know, with, with everything with the. The, f the fire, yeah. No, I wanted to ask you a really quick question. Do you remember, <laughs> I think this was a studio class conversation that we had had about the timing in which one should eat the bananas prior to performance for them to do the maximum good? Do you remember no, I, that? I don't think I, I remember a lot of discussions about bananas, but not this <laughs> particular one. <laughs> I think it was like Dan Parks. And all of us were having this like really long conversation about at what point should you consume the first and second banana before a performance to reap the most benefits of beta blockers from the bananas? This sounds so typical of us though, doesn't it? <laughs> it is like, and I feel like we carried on for a really long time, but I just remember bananas and eating bananas before performances like became like a really hot topic. Yeah. Well, and then we were like talking about when do you have too many bananas before a performance? <laughs> Where do you draw the line? Will you die of a Three? potassium overdose if you have like 12 bananas? Like, <laughs> no, surely 12 is too many. You've no, crossed I a think, line. I think you will die if you have too many bananas. Speaking yeah. of the number 12, I remember when we went to Sokolowski's um, Polish, that yes. restaurant, the Polish, which so sadly is closed. So that's yeah. such a loss for Cleveland. But yeah. I remember you did like the pierogi challenge, which was 12 pierogies and you finished them all. I was just amazed. Thank you. I, I, um, <laughs> I remember the next day was not a good day, but I was happy to have uh, yeah. to been able to do it. It was just a lot of butter. Yeah, no, so well, you're much very butter. Humble. You're very humble. Thank that you. Was, uh, an accomplishment, really. Thank you. It's, I, <laughs> To be a little less humble, I have to say that's probably one of my proudest moments, was eating 
a dozen yeah. pierogies in an hour. Well, Dave, I gotta let you go. I have to say, it's so good to catch up and just hear what you've been up to. I look forward to hearing more from you. So just thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me, Garrett. And, you know, congratulations on all the amazing things that you're doing in this time. I mean, it's just incredible to see all of your recordings and, you know, this initiative and all that you're doing with Coursers. I mean, it's just super inspiring to me. So thank you, Garrett. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Classically Minded. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to learn more, please visit classicallyminded.org or follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to see you next time.